This is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. And it is it's a little bit afternoon. And the weather's good enough that uh, I don't have to wear a it's kind of like a a down uh, vest, sort of like this inner liner. So that's nice. And I'm just looking across at over at the mountains and I can't quite see the two sisters. It's interesting, sort of um, geographical. We have place names in Vancouver that are First Nations, but uh, one example of sort of like the overwriting or loss of, uh, say, a place name is we have these um, a mountain that has, uh, say, two peaks, and people know it as uh, the the lions, and we get we get terms like Lions Gate from it in Vancouver, and the two peaks are known as the lions, but oh, I see them now, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're all kind of not entirely covered with snow but there's still snow up there the uh, let's see the, oh yeah and the First Nations in the First Nations traditions they're, they're called uh, the sisters and there's this wonderful uh mythology lore about them that they were these two sisters that were put up there uh, also too is kind of like how in you know Greek mythology heroes are put into up into the stars so these two sisters are uh, placed upon this mountain and uh, transformed and they're there to remind people uh, the two sisters brought about peace just seeing these starlings pecking away at the grass. Ah, these two sisters. So, yeah. Um, and, too, it's a wonderful story, and it's more powerful than um, what the Europeans are offering with, you know, lions. Two lions. And I remember looking it up once. Like say, where did the notion? Why would they? Why would they say something like "Lion's Gate"? You know, where? Where does that come from? <clears throat> Anyways, my argument too is it makes Vancouver much uh, fuller and much much more interesting, as well as this sort of compare and contrast. Okay. Uh, heading out the door, I didn't really have a topic in mind. I was looking around, and nothing was grabbing grabbing my attention. And I did I did see someone. I, I saw an article about scene writing, and I thought that would be 
nice to revisit and to discuss. And the big quote that jumped out at me was the, that every scene should have character motivation and it should lead to a plot point or increase plot or tension. Something, something in there. You know, ten, tension of plot, plot of tension. My own, my own interest, say, rewriting, I'll be sitting there with a scene, and at, at points when I'm doing a draft, I'll sit back and I'll look at the scene, and sometimes it's theatrical, that say, I'll be able to see parts of, of you know, the composition, where things are in, re- in relation to other things, and where the characters are standing. So it becomes theatrical, it becomes uh, cinemagraphic, maybe. The best, I, I would say the best photographs involve a story, that there's something going on more so than a photo. I, I remember uh, a guy who had taught photography, I think it was in high school, but he was saying the kids went out with the cameras and brought back, it was just photos of trees, right? And he, it was all the same thing. They would just go out and just sort of point the camera and take a picture of something and not consider anything beyond that. That gets a bit it gets a bit complicated a bit. Say totaling everything up. The thing too is is that you don't do this all in one shot. You know, you're not doing a draft and then sitting there going Aha, you know, I've you know, I'm so skilled I put every tool into this thing. I used every tool in the toolbox every literary device. I considered everything. And rather, it's, it's a slow process with uh, multiple drafts. And hopefully, you know, you do a draft, get some feedback, do the draft again, get more feedback. So there's this kind of layering and build-up. Uh, right, and so I'm speaking more to that as far as scene building goes.
Okay, so, scenes. <laughs> I just sort of drifted off for a second there. It's kind of a, a shock, you know, these change in weather. Right, so, scenes. So character, when talking about the character motivation, is that in every scene, uh, you're asking uh, who has the power. So instead of, and two, first draft, you go blindly and you get something down. It's like you're at the quarry getting stone. And then you return and then you start chiseling this slab of stone and shaping it, uh, depending on its purpose. So the, the motivation, it's, it's asking, okay, well, and two, it's not just one character. You're considering multiple characters and what they want. One, one way of exploring this is to switch the point of view. So, you know, instead of, you know, you've got your point of view, and then try moving the point of view over to another character. All of a sudden, you're dealing with a whole different set of values. The character's motivations are different. <clears throat> and then you can start making changes. One piece of advice I got was to have, you know, you could have thousands of people, but it's better to have conversations sort of like focusing down <clears throat> You know, even if you have this long convoy of people marching somewhere, you know, a huge dinner, that you're only sort of concentrating on, <clears throat> say, three or four people at most. And then if you go out of that, you're sort of, that you leave that initial group and move towards uh, a new grouping. Otherwise, it becomes very cumbersome, both for the writer and the reader, the editor. So that was one bit of advice I got. Focus? I remember talking about focus in one episode where... That you, that you want to accentuate and then, but also push things away that are not important. You know, say, so you don't really go into the, the wallpaper print unless it's necessary, right? And then you start sort of talking about <laughs> the wallpaper. I've got this kind of fleur-de-lis pattern in my mind I'm thinking of. And what, what are the colors? It's, it's, a yellow, it's a light yellow background, and then the actual stencil, uh, the actual pattern is this blue fleur-de-lis. And you know, I would only, I would only do that if it was, if it was necessary, you know, say, you know, things, somebody's waiting a long time, so they start to look 
you know, at the wallpaper and think about it and maybe sort of kind of sink into it and, you know, wonder about fleur-de-lis. What is a fleur-de-lis? A fleur is a flower and I think it's lily. I think that's, so it's a fleur de means of, de means of in French. So flower of and lee. And I think it's I think it's lily of the valley. I think it's a it's a lily. It's symbolic of France and there's other symbolism in there to sort of dig into. And that's just something I'm sort of dredging up as I go along and uh, <clears throat> I might use that in other places like say I might have these fleur-de-lis showing up throughout the story uh, or say somebody has lilies or there's actually a character named Lily some, maybe some kind of French connection so there's there's all kinds of opportunities in scenes to uh, use more than what is there. The big stuff, though, is this motivation and talking about, okay, well, uh, I'm saying who has the power, and I got that from a, I think I got that from a playwriting book. There's going to be change that's happening in it. There's going to be tension. Uh, we're going to we're going to learn something. We're going to uh, seed questions, and so it's sort of this constant paying off, but also uh, creating mystery, creating questions. So we're, we're rewarded, but we're lured onwards, on and on and on, as, as readers. We don't want the reader to put down the book. I mentioned focus um, a while ago. I mentioned a, a focal point from a design perspective, and say that certain things stand out that you put on your designer's hat. I don't know in draft number, you know, midway draft, draft five, draft ten, something like that. And then you're considering the scenes, you're considering the power structure, character motivation, and uh, arc. You know, say, what kind of scene is it? Is it... What is the purpose of the scene? And that might seem like a lot. <laughs> and too, like I, like I said, though, you don't do this overnight. Um, 
you can't, you shouldn't. It ought to be this organic process. It's supposed to be slow. They're supposed to be waiting. But the upshot is that you end up with a thoroughly explored scene and that you've you've considered it that it has purpose it's just not it's it's not just sitting there like a lump and you get to the point where yourself or somebody else is is saying no cut it it doesn't you know it's, it's uh, doesn't serve a purpose uh if it's your darling you know that's another right if you love it so, but it has no purpose, then it's, it's time to go. I save them. I save scenes. Uh, I have one, um, a monkey working in a pawn shop. And it's, it's totally a darling, right? It's like I love, there's a pun, because there's monkey's paw, monkey's pawn, and... And so, you know, at some point I'll reuse it, but I'll be, I'll be sure that it has purpose, and, and that it's not just a, um, you know, say to get us from one point to another. If it is, if it's purely transitional, there's still, it ought to go through the gauntlet of, okay, well. What are, what's the motivation? What's the conflict that's happening in the scene? If there is none, there can be some. Uh, and and if, if you're sitting there going, oh, you're just like, you know, oh, I can't do that. Uh, it's worth making a note, you know, and sort of putting it aside and thinking about it and going, well, you know, eventually you're going to get to the point where you'll go for a walk or whatever whatever you do and you know say maybe you sort of brainstorm a bit and then you know come you'll come up with the, the conflict a great one is just the, the the drama between characters so you have characters that are what is it called that uh, characters have banter. There we go. And it's a great word, but also, too, it's, it's not enough that that banter has to serve that, a purpose. And, no, it doesn't, boss. Uh, obviously, first draft, not necessary. But when you're going through, there's the opportunity to pose the question in the banter, you know, get deeper. Well, who, you know, who is this about? Why is there this banter, right? Uh, what's, what's the motivation on either side of this verbal tug-of-war? Uh, is it possible, and it is, to link this banter up to the greater story and the conversation that's happening between these characters, you know, say 
that it, that it's it's linked up, it's going somewhere, it's this discussion back and forth. Just because I've talked about this wallpaper, I'm going to say that the banter is about the wallpaper, and it's a discussion of the wallpaper, and one person doesn't like it, and the other person does. But let's even say that this banter is that there's subtext underneath this. They're actually not talking about the wallpaper, they're talking about their relationship. And something that they're upset about, but they feel that they can't talk about on the surface. So we're sort of, we're underneath, and there's this discussion. So the question is, who has the power at the beginning of the scene, and then that that's going to change and then by the end of the scene, right, we'll have this shift of power. It could even be one character thinking that they have the power, that, but then by the end, that, that has evaporated. And the other person has thoroughly trounced them. <clears throat> I like it when the, say in first draft, where the story is writing itself... But I love it coming back and considering that the you know the dynamic, the power struggle. Does it have to be that way? Of course not. No, it's these are just tools, and it's it's just sort of say, can you get can you get even better? Can you increase the quality of the scene? So a reader comes in and goes, wow, you know, this is, this is awesome. And two, that say, it's building from earlier banter. You know, so this is not just some random conversation, but it, you know, it connects back. It's going to connect forward. Um, things said now have consequences Just, I'm remembering that uh, Brian, science fiction Brian, there's probably lots of science fiction Brians, but uh, one Brian in particular who I end up having exchanges with on Twitter, and he, he saw this uh, Dr. Seuss, um, the, the conversation, let's see, what was, it was a video and was talking about the creation of green eggs and ham, and it was sort of a challenge. It was a challenge from a publisher to Dr. Seuss saying, uh, I'll bet you can't write a book only using 50 words. And this resulted in green eggs and ham. Uh, this, this, this sort of premise to the video is that... Uh, constraints can actually lead to creativity that we are forced to sort of produce and uh, think of think of ways sort of say around the problem uh, what's an example 
just thinking of the word green, that that has multiple meanings. At least two that I can think of, right? It's a color, but it's also... Um, uh, it can mean young. You know, it has sort of springtime, new life association. Then uh, it can also mean green with envy. That, that's just sort of me sort of pulling at the, uh, pulling at the threads. And, uh, but Brian had said, oh, you know, this sort of reminds me of what you're doing. And I didn't think right away what, it was, what that was about. But I think it had to do with uh, constraints. You know, and that I, I, put, I put constraints on. Uh, and that was interesting. It took me a moment. It's like, what are you talking about? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't create this kind of Iron Maiden sort of torture session. Sometimes it feels, it feels um, burdensome, but it's it's not it's not done overnight. Uh, the 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 horrible thing though is the is this the desperation, you know, and this urge to cut corners, and then you end up with an inferior product rather than a superior product. I just did this literary. Um, it's like a, a sample of literary fiction. I spent time on it. I could have submitted it earlier, but I I knew that would be, you know, that's an inferior product. So I I gave myself as much time as possible. And uh, by the end, when I submitted it, I, I was pleased. I had actually reminded myself of the the process and I had reminded myself of the potential and so it was a, it was a great experience uh, stressful and you know I, f- I spent a couple of days feeling burnt out and I'm still finding my way back. And, you know, I've got... I've got a manuscript to get back to, to edit. But I feel... I feel recharged in the sense of craft. Not so much energy, but sort of say... I I, I suddenly can sort of say see with uh, this fresh perspective... So that's that's exciting to sit down and to you know start going through drafts again, but with a greater trust of you know the what what's going to happen, you know that I'm not going to just kick it out the door. And uh, I, th- I think I've mentioned that a couple times that I regret that because. It was very conceptual, so I was showing it around, and then suddenly realized that that was a mistake. And it's it's better to get it uh, pretty much done. Actually, for my situation, I I think it's just good to just get it done, and 
you know, invest the time, and yeah. So, what would be an example of that, scene-wise? One of the... Where I left the manuscript I'm thinking of is that... I wanted to spend more time in the ordinary world and that was one bit of feedback I got and I, and I, re- I kept returning to that going, yeah, it would be good to establish and to sort of not spend too long but spend enough time so that we get to see, say, the stakes, you know, we get a bit of talk-talk. Again, there's so much desperation. Uh, when I was getting published, I was so afraid that I was, it was sort of slipping through my fingers, uh, like sand or water, and, like, yeah, like water, and I had lost, uh, like say, I'd lost my agent, I had lost, uh, you know, the publishers weren't interested, and, you know, I was beginning to sort of go, oh no, this is not going to happen. And even with my publisher now, I'm sort of looking at it and going, you know, oh, you know, I was, I was really freaked out and made a whole bunch of mistakes. And they've been very forgiving, and it's, it's sort of figured out and worked out now, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, have I learned from that lesson? So scene-wise, so scenes, I'm considering now scenes set in the ordinary world that reveal character, reveal, uh, but also reveal flaw. So. Reveal character, need versus flaw, and uh, showing the the outer desire versus the, the conflict, and yeah, spend time uh, establishing the antagonist in the story. Let's see, so there's scenes where it almost feels like there's a kind of, I don't know if you have this experience, but I'll, I'll sit down to work and I'll feel like there's sort of like a taboo, say, uh, there's, it's, a, it's a place I'm not supposed to just say personally that I'm uh, sort of say uh, relationships or you know, it's like I'm not supposed to be writing about this. Um, and then it also could be that, you know, I don't know how to write about this, that the story has gone into territory that I'm not familiar with, which is, which is, you know, interesting to say. I could imagine, and I've gotten some excellent feedback from another writer that will help me uh, construct scenes. Uh, why? 
because uh, this other writer actually has uh, daughters, and so teenage, I think there's a teenager, there's a teenager, a teenage daughter, and just sort of laying it down for me, you know, what, what the headspace is, the mood, and it was very good for me. It was like, you know, aha, yes, I can work with this. And it gets into, um, the motivation gets into power, it gets into sort of like, you know, believing that one ought to have more power, and yet we're in this uh, child-parent paradigm. Uh, And two, the relationship is changing, right? There's that potential on the horizon, right? Yes, one day I will become, you know, an adult with everything, all the baggage included, you know, but uh, still not there yet. A lot of anger, frustration... confusion. You know, it's starting to sound like teenage years. So what am I saying? Yeah, so what I'm saying is that I say I had done first draft, second draft. I think I was up to the fifth draft. And I realized that it would be structurally better if there was more time spent, right? If we had sort of, you know, slowly getting into uh, the first act. I said ordinary world, so that's a that's a good good way to describe it. Joseph Campbell's ordinary world. You know, that we're leaving for this underworld experience. There's things that say, I, you know, I learned that now, say, I have greater clarity. <laughs> it's kind of that, you know, there it is again. It's like the, the subjective and now it's objective. I'm outside. But I, I remember being inside in the subjective and knowing just sort of how lost I was. It's like there's, you know, I just can't see where I am in the story. And going on faith, uh, trusting the process that I had done, you know, 20 plus uh, uh, manuscripts? Drafts. I'd gone through it 20 plus times. I don't think you have to do that all the time. I said before, like say, it's if you don't know what you're doing, then yeah, lots. I but I even had a situation where I had a plot and an outline, and it drastically changed for the better. And this was working with someone who was giving me feedback, my agent. And I'm, I'm hoping to replace that role, at least at the moment, and to, you know, to be also to be exchanging with other writers, and to, but to <laughs> that's the hope. I think too, even though you know, even if nothing happens, it's better 
it's better to get it out there and to be sharing, you know, and to get something. Rather than have it hermetically sealed up. So, let's see. Scenes. I actually have two scenes that feel fine, and then I have a, a transition space where I know that there's a bunch of scenes that have got to be put in there. And then I have the story that is written and working and everything. Uh, some advice I've gotten so far is to uh, load up the scenes at the start, even you know, adding and cutting, but just to have, just to show the relationships before we get this uh, this bad news, uh, which in screenwriting is called the inciting incident, right? It's this event, news, uh, something that just sort of shakes up the world. Let's see. So this is actually a case of I guess it's a, it's a bit of revisioning, right? So it's it's adjusting the vision. And so the scenes, if I could boil down the scenes I'm thinking of. <clears throat> It would be good to talk about who has the power, just in the sense of the, the sequence of scenes. Like, say, this, um, this group of scenes where my main character is <clears throat> shocked by this news, you know, that sort of we have things, things are fine, then the news shakes things up, and it's, you know, wanting to, not wanting you know, what, what the news is offering. So, the, the question of who has the power, I think it's that we start at the very beginning with the main character has the power, and then in this sequence of scenes that the power is lost, and there's this great frustration and anger um, because things were going so well at least in the main character's mind. You know, and they don't want change, right? They don't want this um, thing. You know, they've, they, they struggled against that, and now it's being taken out of their hands. This is also very close to um, just sort of like very basic screenplay structure where you know, um, talking about it this way, you know, rather than getting into details, and, and this is more sort of pulling back, and I'm 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 pretty good with the emotional part of it, but as I as I'm thinking, talking, walking. 
I'm, I'm sort of looking and going, I think that the openings, there, may, there has to be more opening scenes and that the opening scenes reveal the normality, right? That we get to see, get to see, maybe we have hints of this shocking information, this news, but really it's sort of, things are fine and stable and, you know, we see this, the power that the main character has, or at least the, um, what is it called, static, you know, that things, yeah, the ordinary, the normal, uh, that they're fine with. It's not perfect, but it's, uh, it's not like the upset that's going to happen. One of my thoughts was, say, introducing more relationships and, say, showing um, family, perhaps, other, you know, say, I, ha I was thinking uncle, uncles and aunts that uh, she would you know, sort of equate with uh, stability and normality. And to say that they're not going to change. <clears throat> I'm just thinking about all the sort of relatives, right, that have these... Um, I, I, I don't want to say it, but sedate, you know, very sort of, you know, calm, stable um, lifestyles, lives, and <clears throat> lifestyles, lives. So, yeah, sort of building up this uh, normality. So I'm just sort of going, okay, maybe we can move scenes to, like, say, add scenes at the beginning. We get the shock, and then we get the reaction. And the one, the one difficulty is that, like, say, it's been written. So I know what the main storyline is, the external plot. Uh, and two, external, internal, and also the emotional, uh, ahead. If I go back to the sort of statement that I gave, uh, what is it, that, you know, quote-unquote, you know, every, every scene should have character motivation and, uh, leading to a plot point or increasing tension. So having this weird sort of moment of almost like looking over top of uh, the... It's like sort of laid out linearly where things are progressing and we're looking at say the scenes kind of like on business uh, index cards right so these index cards are laid out so I'm imagining the scenes and that there's this chunk that I quite can't quite um, figure out now, I'm not sure what this 
what the chunk of scenes what their purpose is but I've just got this sort of gut you know and gut feeling that there's supposed to be this group of scenes there and just going back to my own kind of childhood my my wicked years is a you know the sort of the counter of the golden age of 12 years old was also um, not acting out but it it was kind of it, <laughs> maybe it was acting out but just sort of you know doing things uh, that were I'm just sort of imagining she you know gets this bad news and she's she's doing this stuff that is sort of a response you know sort of this emotional response and sort of you know maybe it has to do with sort of um, breaking something or something like that and then you know sort of being punished for this and yeah so I'm just sort of you know imagining that kind of stuff going on Alright, for time. So we have 15 minutes left. So in considering this, uh, in considering this, these scenes, that the the power is really obvious. It's about uh, the power between. Uh, parents and it's about and children and it's about rules um, also though there's these expectations that the parents have that um, and to the that the child does right so that we have this struggle happening between these two sides ultimately it's doomed for uh, for the child uh, you know, yes and no, though, because there's this uh, conflict happening. But also, too, it's, it's sort of say considering the the place of the child you know, in the in the family, and the the parents want things to be okay. Um, so it's 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 not just cut and dry where there's this sort of angry, lashing out, you know, and wrecking something, and okay, so um, let's just sort of condense it, the requirements down into one, into one scene, and that the um, having some hot water warm water right so the the conflict in the scene uh, the motivations the motivations are wanting to express anger that the parents are um, 
that there's this there's this thing happening in the family she doesn't want it to happen and this is her main character so motivations the motives yeah that it's you know it's wanting something the stability but the conflict is is with these other two people that are causing the problem <clears throat> And, you know, and two, it's you know, it's an imagined problem. It's uh, life will go on. And two, I might as well just say that the, the the parents are planning to get divorced, and so the child is you know upset and um, doesn't want this right and doesn't understand. So this is my main character, Mool, and. Considering the scene, it really propels things forward. The, you know, say her behavior, it's that, in a way, it's sort of saying, give me a reason to, you know, to stay. Give me a reason to um, sort of, you know, comfort me. I'm in, you know, I'm in shock. I'm in distress. You know, this is not, um, you know, she, she didn't grow up sort of expecting this, and she, she, the main character, Mool, has got some history, though. She, she, she did lose her father and then actually got him back, and she made that happen <clears throat> in, in the truly fantastical sense. Um... I th I think then the scene is this is, is wrecking something. My mind just went to the extreme of <laughs> burning down the house, which no one should do, but just sort of like the creative um just sort of like, you know, extreme, right? It's like, you know, she burns down the house. And it's like, no, that's <laughs> that's that's very bad. So, I'm um uh, but I, I think that that kind of, that, it, it sort of would sort of drive someone away, and, you know, that, that they would do this horrible thing and then they would run off and thinking, you know, you know, oh my gosh, I'm terrible and I've done this bad thing. And two, what I'm talking about is actually less of a, it, that is less of a dialogue scene I do have dialogue scenes, and I have her responding, right, with, you know, sort of shock and then anger. So that's there. But now I'm thinking of this, this scene now has emerged that would re sort of represent her, how she's feeling, and her, you know, motivations, and that she's, she's lashing out. So in the scene, I'm, I'm thinking of, or at least the representative of, um, some something that is missing. I can just feel it. I was like, like, oh, there's something missing. That um, you know, she has you know, in anger, she has done something, and she has ruined something. Um, there's this element of art, and uh, Patrick Bolivar, who you know had seen, he's read the first couple of most recent draft, uh, the chapters, first couple of chapters, and he said. He was pointing out the the art that was happening, and 
he was suggesting that as a way to um, sort of connecting it with the parents, that this art was somehow connected to the parents. And that, you know, perhaps the thing that is wrecked is this picture. You know, maybe um, one of the images that uh, emerged from the first book was this uh, mural of this mural that that becomes enchanted and we don't actually see the mural in the first in the first book and so this is a chance to say and to actually have the mural it's sort of painted and it's put up on a wall and it, this is where these two mice live and inside the painting because that's something that has fascinated me for years is you know this idea of you know entering going into a painting right sort of being able to that a painting is like a magic door, right? You can just sort of go to the, into that place, into the image. And um, I'm just thinking now, and I'm really liking this uh, notion of that we that in the first opening scene, the the painting that is going on, this creativity is um, there's so much anger that that the the painting is destroyed and that you know, sort of this is this is symbolizing right the sort of like the lashing out at, at the creativity and the the good thing of of the of the um the drawing and the painting i think too yeah it's moving it into actual painting and it and that there's this response um i am i'm also thinking of the the mural on on the wall and, and that maybe that that is what is sort of wrecked and that that's something say she worked on with her father you know making this uh, painting her father did it and so she's like wrecking this sort of thing um, or that they all worked on it together just something that sort of symbolizes say kind of what they're working on and then she sort of is in a, in a, in a sense it's kind of like burning down the house uh, you know, and in her rage, and I think too that she would feel bad about it later, because she, of course, she loves it, and she, you know, she, she doesn't want it to end, and and yet she, you know, here she is, she's you know ruined this this work of art. It's got me thinking about editing now, and in in a way how you know we we write something and then, and then we we keep destroying it over and over and over again in in order to you know make it better and to sort of sort of break it you know break it heal it break it heal it which is a terrible way of thinking of it <clears throat> there's got to be better analogies but anyways that's an example of working on a scene and then making these considerations. Um, also, too, this is post-first draft, and we're in, in the middle. Um, I, I'm, saying it's, I'm, I'm saying it's middle because I have a much better idea of, say, the fantasy world and I, you know, main characters and um, the, the plotting and everything, and um, a, lot, a lot has already been done. Uh, so it's it's not say going in pantsing. I, I think that's what it is. I I think of 
if you're plotting, then it, doing 10 drafts would be good. But if you're pantsing, you should do 20 or more. And d depending on, say, where you get, and if you're sort of super confident uh, and honest, right? That's the thing. You know, if I'm honest with myself, I know that it's, you know, subpar and that uh, it would be better for everybody if I just started a new draft. So, for me, I'm inserting this scene, this sort of rage um, lashing out. Uh, I'm also, I also want to move some scenes where I have this sort of meeting uh, local family. I want to move that to the beginning. And... Um, why? Because I, I, I'm sort of seeing it as, as necessary for establishing stability, that there's, there's the unstable family, and then there's the larger stable family, right? These older individuals. Yeah. I, I, as it stands, it's, it's an uncle, um, not the uncle from the first book, um, sort of up from the other side of the family, because there's one side of the family that lives in the outside world, and then there's one side of the family that lives in the inside world. And, yeah, so it's the father's side, right? So we get to meet people from the father's side of the family. Uh, yeah, and, and, and the, they're going to help to establish. Um, what else can I say? Uh, this this is an example of say why to do multiple drafts sort of and you know examining again and again and um, uh, posing questions and then say finding areas that um, require something right a scene is missing or uh, or a scene you know ought to be cut in 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 this case it's all about establishing and just how much is you know I don't know right and so. You know, I'm examining it, and I had actually left it for a long time. I had, um, I I remember being really frustrated because I just I could not, um, I I just could not get into this. Uh, I was I was adding stuff, but the the purpose of it was lost on me, and so just sort of say, talking with you. <laughs> And, you know, doing this podcast talk and thinking about it, what I'm doing, and uh, con considering considering the plot ahead, considering um, the tension, right, the potential to sort of create this tension and, and um, that, that is going to catapult uh, our main character or point of view character out of this situation because uh, she could stay. She could be bitter and angry and sort of, you know, but still stay. But, but this is definitely going to sort of, you know, send her out, you know, and uh, upset and angry and even more so, right, because she's lashed out and destroyed this beautiful thing, uh, which is, which is, that's something... And two, from my own experience, um, you know, I I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but you know, I I grew up 
you know, all of my childhood friends, broken families, right? It was just, I was, that was, that was my normal, you know, but also too, it was a horrible thing because we saw what our parents were doing to each other, right? Breaking each other. And I don't want to say hearts. I, I think more, um, I want to say psyches, right? That they were not, it wasn't about creating these stable environments. It was about this desperate um, quest to find something that didn't exist. And we were the byproduct of that, right? All of those unions, uh, those relationships created us, right? But it also, you know, burdened us with this, you know, same... um, codependent streak to one degree or another and uh, yeah you know so we just you know we ran off and have you know sort of looking and looking and looking and of course you know never finding it's like oh yes we found it and it's like oh no this is not it right so I have to leave and go off and you know find something else that said uh, you know a number of us have have sort of you know made our peace and also, too, uh, the parents involved, they, you know, they have, uh, a number of them have, you know, figured out to some degree or another. But there's these wounds. Um, I remember talking with one older guy, and he was, he was saying that it still upsets him, and that uh, he hasn't been able to make peace with that. And that's, that's sad. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's one thing that, that I'm working on is, is sort of, okay, you know, how to have that within yourself and how to be not, and to, to share that story, right? So that, you know, here's an example of being full and complete and independent and not feeling broken and, you know, running around looking for something that doesn't exist. What a huge waste of time. <laughs> yes, Moss, but just think about how the population increases. You know, please give me a break. Anyways, let's see. Yeah, thank you for listening. And I think we eventually got there. And we have, at least I've got something out of this. And I hope you have by osmosis, etc. Take care. <laughs>